Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast, and this is your host, Ilana Levin. And this is a comics podcast for the sort of people who appreciate a good D-list supervillain team-up series, especially when they troll Batman over his food breath, kill the perpetuators of the prison industrial complex, and steal Wonder Woman's boots with lascivious intent. That's right. Tonight we're digging into the back issues to talk about a comic from about a decade ago, Secret Six by DC Comics. This series is the heir to the critically acclaimed Ostrander Yale Run and Suicide Squad, uh, but with a very squarely 2000s sensibility to it. It's easily among the top five cape books of the 21st century, if you ask me, yet rarely have I seen it discussed in depth. So we're going to do that tonight. Secret Six is launched and almost entirely written by the great Gail Simone, working with a number of artists, including Jim Calafiore, Brad Walker, and most centrally, the great goddess herself, Nicola Scott. And joining me to talk about the series is returning guest John Arminio. Uh, John is a longtime comic book devotee and retailer who peddles his wares at Comics Connection in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Along with comics, another of his great passions is film, and you can hear him discuss the artistic medium on recent episodes of podcasts, Hellbent for Horror, Film 89, and 26 Movies from Hell. Welcome back to the show, John. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Last time you were on, we were talking about Doom Patrol. It was on episode two, and we were still debating, like, is this a show folks should keep watching? And you and I have have kept watching it. What what do you think? Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, worthwhile. I think it takes so many crazy turns um, that it it does go off the rails on several occasions, but I think it's fun and exciting in in that way. Um, Not every episode hits, but I think um, it's totally unpredictable. Its characters are off the wall, um, and it has some great LGBT representation in there, especially when you get, when you, when they go uh, traveling on in Danny the Street. Um, so it managed to be like heartfelt and a lot of fun and kind of meaningful and it stays true to its characters. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. I, I really do think it's one of the best shows aimed at adults that's out on TV right now. Definitely one of the best superhero adaptations, no question. I, I it's the acting is is just tremendously good. And I'm sad to think about the fact that I don't think any of those people are ever to get nominated for anything from the show, which is utterly sad because they're magnificent. And yeah, it's like super freaking gay in the best way possible. I, and and I'm a little bit behind, but I'm really loving it. I just watched the Francis patrol episode. Uh, I watched it like the night of the game of Thrones finale because I needed like a palate cleanser basically. (laughs) And, um, I actually, you know, I didn't cry in the last episode of Game of Thrones. I, I did cry watching Francis Patrol. Like there, there's this like, it, there's a very much like sort of gay community history moment in it, that episode. And I just was like, yep, I'm really crying over this. And, um, I, I think the show is like surprisingly powerful and I, I'm excited that it seems like it's doing pretty well. So for folks who want to hear more about it, go ahead, check out our doom patrol episode from a few, I guess maybe about a month or two back. Um, uh, but yeah, but let's, let, let's dig into these comics. Sure. Um, yay. So I, it's funny. I, I began reading secret six out of order because DC was terrible at numbering its trade paperbacks. Um, Holy hell. I read, Right? Especially that era. Like, yeah. how do you even know what to buy? 
Yeah, even like um, when you were asking for questions from people on Twitter, like <laughs> people were responding like, oh, in issue nine, da 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 happened. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about because to me, I'm getting this in trade, you know, like 10 years after it happened. And I'm like, oh, it's the unhinged story or the depth story. It's yeah. not even volume yeah. one, two, or seven. No, none of them were numbered. And the whole series kicked off with a trade called Villains United. Yeah. So, which wasn't even like promoted as being part of it, even though it's completely clearly a secret six book, because those are the characters on the cover. And it's by Gail Simone and Daniel Eaglesham. Like, yeah, that's what this is. So yeah, they don't make it easy for you to read this series. It is all available on DC Unlimited, though, which you may have signed up for to do things like, I don't know, watch Doom Patrol. Um, but of course, you know, it's also great to go ahead and buy those books because I think that the uh, the financial deal for the creators is probably better if you buy them than if you stream. But I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I read this shit out of order <laughs> um, and I still enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and uh, as something that I it was one of the first comics I started picking up weekly from my box uh, once around issue 20 is when I started to um be caught up and then just buying it as it came out. But it was something where I just immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I think it was recommended to me because uh, someone at my store was really strongly saying that I was going to love Gail Simone. And I said, I don't really want to read Wonder Woman. So he's like, oh, then you need this. And let me tell you, I, I love a good D-list team book, whether it's heroes or villains. I love me some D-listers. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why they work for me is that there's so much creativity that the team can bring to bear because the, the, the editors don't care. They are like, yeah, go ahead. Give, you know, now this character has this completely twisted origin story. You're not ruining our brand because we don't have anything invested in it. And you have the ability to really put them through the ringer or not, depending on your artistic desires. Cause like, you can kill one of these characters and they can stay dead and it's not going to hurt anybody's IP. So the stakes are higher in some ways like that as well. And I just really think that they let creators have more creativity and freedom when they're doing these D-list characters. And I think they're just more interesting. Do you have an attraction to the D-list folks? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they're just so much more fun. And like you said, the creators are given more much more of a wide berth to be creative with that character. I think a good recent example of this is um, Kelly Thompson's West Coast Avengers. And I, and I know like the two Hawkeyes are A-listy, but the team certainly is pretty D-list that they get together with, including a couple new characters. And so you, you uh -huh. get you get character relationships that you would never see in um, in other books, especially now. Uh, you get You get much more obvious lgbt uh representation and racial diversity yeah. uh which is great uh and and yeah there there's stakes there because well this character's new he or she might just die uh mm -hmm. and and i think with west coast avengers like i really fell in love with gwenpool and so it was great to see her back after her own book her like madcap book was canceled so for me, like this being a D-list team was actually part of what appealed to me in the first place. I, I The only character from it I was even vaguely familiar with uh, from the first ones I read were, um, I knew that in Green Arrow, they'd kind of beaten up Catman and treated him as a joke and cast him aside. And um, 
you know, that was like basically it. Like I actually hadn't read any Suicide Squad at that point, so I didn't really know Deadshot. Was he was fat just, in, in that Green Arrow run? Because it yeah, referencing, oh, yeah, so, okay, okay. Yeah, it was in the Kevin Smith one. He's fat, and they talk about him being like washed up, and they basically say fucked up, fat phobic things. Okay. Um, and this was basically the first, the character's first appearance since that Green Arrow run from earlier in the in the 2000s, I guess. I don't remember exactly when the Kevin Smith run was. Um, so yeah, this kind of made it, this, this series made Catman and it certainly brought dead, you know, Deadshot, who had his own specific following, um, from Suicide Squad, but definitely like, you know, had probably been gone for some time from, uh, from other titles. Uh, like, and then most of the cast, Except for like, you know, there was a brief stint where Harley Quinn shows up, but there's a lot of, you know, new characters or super obscure characters. Um, you know, the version of Ragdoll in this is in, was invented for the series and he's particularly sort of creepy and complicated. Um, I, I love that. I don't remember which letterer began using a stylized font typeface for him, stylized lettering, but they use this like, it's like calligraphic lettering yeah. to make. And they have such great, they do such a such great effect and it has a sort of weird alienating effect. And they, there's this great line where someone says, like he was saying something about like climbing down the pole and they said, God, everything you say sounds creepy. And he's like, it does. Oh, and then he starts saying different statements and they all show up in his weird font. And he comments that, yes, you're right. Everything I say does sound does sound creepy so it's almost like the weird font things yeah i said that yeah it says to my bat pole because they're impersonating batman and then catman is like that sounds a bit unsavory when you say it of course everything sounds unsavory when you say it cheese stuffed manicotti Ooh, it does i never realized creamed corn donut holes silverback gorillas god help us all yeah Go ahead. At, at, at one point, uh, Deadshot says to Ragdoll, "Even when he's well, he's sick," and I think that's kind of a, also a, a comment on the whole team. But it's kind of especially yeah. especially obvious uh, with Ragdoll's character, and I think he's he's interesting because almost like seventy five percent of what he says is just ignored by the team, and so it's only like very special side comments of his that the team just kind of like stops and looks at him and says. Excuse me? What? You're right. And he really does fill the role of a clown in like traditional comedy yeah. where like he says the things that other people won't say. Um, he periodically will say something like completely dark and like, and like accurate about who they are and what they're doing that other people hadn't quite been willing to put to words before. So he sort of has that traditional role. Um, and I think, well, like, but, like you yeah. said in your intro, his fetishization of Wonder Woman and how much of Wonder Woman's popularity is the outright fetishization of that character, um, be it the way she's dressed or her kind of bondage history or whatever. I mean, I love Wonder Woman, but, yeah. I, but there's that yeah, definitely a certain kind of skeevy element to her fandom. Yeah, definitely. It's true. He just straight up says those things. And it's like kind of amazing and incredible. I feel like they probably let Gail go a little bit more hog wild in the Wonder Woman stuff because she'd been writing Wonder Woman. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but God, yeah. And 
but the character that you know the the characters that were like completely invented for this series like scandal savage was a really big deal she was created as a lesbian character she's uh the daughter of vandal savage aka actual biblical cain and god do i love the fact that dc has a character who's like actually biblical cain from the bible <laughs> uh, <laughs> like this is not he is cain um anyway she's his daughter uh she's like she's brazilian she's she's a lesbian they sort of are trying to characterize her as butch presenting, but they don't really fully commit to it because most of the artists are scared to draw butch women because they think that men won't whack, want to whack off to that, I guess, is the best guess I have as to why they won't go full on into it. But but it's clear that that is like her gender performance in like this, yeah. and that's pretty fucking awesome. Like, just Although, I, if, I mean, if, yeah. if, if you were going to whack off to Secret Six and you were put off by the fact that Scandal is a little too butch, I I can't help you. <laughs> I know, like, but people are such basic bitches. Like, I mean, I, I, again, like Nicholas Scott's art here is amazing, and I don't want to speak poorly of the other artists in in general. But like, there is sort of like a basic, there's sort of a basic guy style that you that you, even the folks who are doing some interesting work here um do i mean but that's not to say like certainly like nicola nicola scott also is an artist who like will straight up be like i am going to make pinup art of Catman in this comic and here's a gratuitous yeah. butt drawing of nightwing like so she's recognizing that this is for an audience with a range of attractions and desires and just goes for it. But I think especially when one woman shows up and you see that panel, like the indisputable power in wonder woman is obvious from the way Nicholas God depicts her. And it takes a very special talent to be able to just kind of encapsulate that in one image. And so it's not, even if she has pinup art style in her comics, She's not just doing that with, especially with Wonder Woman. Yeah. I mean, I truly think she's one of the best artists working. I, I see her work as being really a continuation of like, she's sort of the modern heir to all the bronze age work that I think is so good at having really detailed, lovingly rendered faces. Like I have no idea how she's able to have a sustainable output of these detail rich art um, I mean, everybody, the faces are so, the acting on the faces she draws is so excellent. Like you can just yeah. really read people's expressions so well. Everybody's hair is just like gorgeous and elegant. Everybody is, everybody is gorgeous and they have such sensitivity in their faces. She draws clothing like that actually makes sense. Like there's a number of characters that you run into who are regular people. And for once, the clothing that the regular people are wearing makes sense, which is like a often complaint I have about a lot of other artists. They think that like everyone is running around in loose waisted pants, even after those were no longer in fashion, but no, like Nicholas got has paid attention. Um, and like, you know, uses that as part of the characterization of the characters. At one point she's drawing two characters who very deliberately looks, and I'm not going to, I I'm going to avoid like hardcore spoilers to later in the end. Cause I want this episode to be accessible to people who haven't really read the series yet. But like there's two characters who look very similar to her deliberately in this. And you can tell them apart when she draws them. Yeah. Like how many artists can you really say that about? Like, yeah, I have it's to just, admit- I have to admit, I Amazing. was a little con- confused as to who was who with those two characters when other artists were doing it. But when Nicholas Scott was 
rendering those characters, I was definitely not. Um, yeah. But I like f- I was actually really interested in what you were saying about her being a, a Bronze artist because I think I first became aware of her talents uh, with Greg Rucka's Black Magic. I think it was 2015, mm. which yeah. epitomizes everything you were saying about her, like the face acting, the hairstyles, the clothing, and the fact that it's mostly black and white with some gray shading um, really mm. kind of makes her brilliance pop. Um, so if anybody out there likes supernatural stories or detective stories or likes Nicholas Scott's art, pick up Black Magic. A new hardcover came out, I think, just this week. It's fantastic. Yeah, I really like that series. I'm I'm behind on it, but I've really liked it. And her art is just freaking stellar. Yeah. So I definitely think, like, it's, I also feel like a lot of the times I see a lot of pairings in comics, in mainstream comics, where I feel like the artist and the writer aren't even trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And in Secret Six, that isn't an issue. I don't like every artist who works on the book. But there's even some artists who I'm like not crazy about their aesthetic, but I like I see why they're working together on this. Like I, I for me, like I definitely I don't really love. Um, well, we'll go into well, you know we'll go into more detail about that later. But certainly the Nicola Scott work with this really feels like a very deliberate team up pairing here. You know they work together on Wonder Woman as well, um, where you really have the aesthetic matching. The text and what the text, because I feel like I might not have explained explain enough of this yet. Like, this is some funny and dark and sick and twisted comics. Yeah. I mean, I guess I did read part of that dialogue. So maybe that gives folks a bit of a, a feel on it. But, um, oh yeah, but yeah, so Scandal Savage, I feel like might have been one of the first, like, straight up, like, here's a major character in a book, lesbian characters at, at, at DC. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I didn't, I certainly can't yeah. remember or think of other lesbian characters, but before, before this one, before Scandal, and you know, and she's not an Amazon; she doesn't have any superpowered space reasons. That's just her orientation. Yeah, and it's great. I freaking love it, and it has a really complex relationship between her and one of the male characters that's like not sexual and is really. And like, they're so good at doing this that at no point was I reading it and saying, God, I hope they don't get paired up. Yeah. Cause you know, there's a bad tendency and I'm saying this as like a bisexual person who's married to a man, but there's like a tendency in a lot of fiction to like figure out how to make some, some guy or other an excuse to connect your queer woman with a dude. And like, no, this book isn't doing it. It's examining their relationships in a different way. And, um, and scandal never has to come out or declare herself or she just is and the rest of the team just kind of like okay yeah uh sure Uh, and the male character that who she becomes very close with never even thinks of her in a sexual way uh even though she's an extraordinarily beautiful woman um yeah but these relationships are in a strange way like very mature and adult amidst mm-hmm. all the other broken and very decayed and immature relationships that these other characters have with each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I also think that like, you know, like she has, she deals with her, you know, Vandal Savage is, gives her shit about it, but it's because he wants kids. It's not that he cares that she's a lesbian. He's like, I just need you to get pregnant. 
And she's like, I'm not doing that either. You know, and I obviously know there's plenty of lesbian women who are like, go and get pregnant. But she's like, my body is not up to your demands and screw you. Um, yeah, and Vandal and Savage that that's, is it, yeah. one of the worst, most evil villains in the DC universe. So, yeah. 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 I mean, so yeah, I really, and there's, so yeah, and there's, so there's multiple queer characters in this book also, I would add. And that's just still something that I wish there was more of. And it's sort of like, it is easier though for them to be like, I'm inventing a new character and she's a bad guy and she's a lesbian, but she's a really compelling bad guy. And she's a bad guy who, and this is like a constant theme in the book, like will not just do anything for any reason for anyone. And so much of the book is about these villains sort of negotiating what their own limits are. You know, these characters, most of the characters, the, the, the lineup for the secret six changes throughout the book. Some, most of the characters in it, most of the time, are villains who do things to make money and are not like, it's not like the Joker or like Gorilla Grodd. Like Gorilla Grodd wants like world domination or like the Joker is like trying to make everybody lose their minds. Like these are people with like very much like, I want money and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it kinds of kinds of characters and then they end up spending a lot of time sort of debating what they will or won't do for money <laughs> i think the, the book is interesting in that way and i think it gets even more interesting when the team is presented with a moral quandary like being presented with a get out of jail a get out of hell free card as one, yeah. of, one of their MacGuffins that they have to go find and so you know not only is the idea of an actual hell that exists that everyone on earth realizes is real. Um, an interesting idea, but how do these, you know, villains or anti-villains or anti-heroes approach getting that object, knowing that there is a hell that might be there to punish them. Um, so Mm -hmm. I, I just think, so knowing that there might be an eternity where you will be on fire. Is that more important to you than money? And so for somebody like Deadshot to have to like decide that <laughs> is actually like, oh, I'm, I'm actually interested in what Deadshot is thinking, which is something I've never thought before, before when reading a comic book. Well, I mean, I completely fell in love with books, not with this character because I fucking hate him, but like fell in love with books about this character through this. Like I've gone back and thanks to the DC Unlimited app, like I'm reading the old school Ostrander Suicide Squad mm-hmm. stuff and like... God, Deadshot is such a great freaking character. Um, we, and I just really didn't know who he was till this, but you know, basically like this, this guy who started off sort of as a, someone who was doing superheroing to like ransom people for money, um, basically just hates, he hates himself and is super ca- blase about He's like he's sort of struggling with like whether or not he cares if he lives or dies or not. And there's so many moments of him being like, eh, I'll do anything once and just doing completely self-destructive things and seeing what happens. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because I was like in some other comics, that would be Deadpool. But Deadshot is not Deadpool. Deadshot is, does not break the fourth wall. Deadshot is a lot more doesn't he's not a cartoon he's like a fucking person so it's sort of like a, like well what is an actual person like when they are dealing with these questions um i'm going to dig into a detailed 
we're going to dig in. We're going to talk about some specific pages in depth later on. And one of mine is with, with Deadshot. But um, I, oh, yeah. So with the, the get out of hell card, like it's it seems at first like it's very much a MacGuffin, but pretty quickly, like all of the stories around it are end up being about characters like questioning their morality in light of the recognition that now that they now they know hell exists. Like, and so like, if you ever, you know, like ultimate nihilist, like Deadshot, like, yeah, like what does that make you think or how does it make you do things differently? Jeanette, who was invented for the comic, sort of using the creature type of Banshee, as it were, which exi- which existed in DC prior to this, but she herself didn't exist as a character, is, you know, an amazing character who, uh, you know, survived the... She oh yeah, her, her origin story. She goes back to being like a pet of Ezra Bathory, like in the yes. 16th century. So yeah, she's hundreds of years old. Um, and uh, she has a very complex relationship with death and her body as well, and has one of those powers where basically it's almost like with. Um, Black Bolt, where your power is too powerful to actually be used that much, uh, like Dead Bolt, you know, like Black Bolt. Sorry, you know, because like her power is she will make you and everyone in the vicinity relive the pain and terror of her own beheading. So basically, she just incapacitates everybody within earshot, and like they become like a a mess on the ground. And it's such an interesting peace and I, I love the fact that her eyes turn black when death is in the air and she says that she can smell death um and she's got really a, you know a twisted sense of humor she's really sexy like and jokes around that a lot but in ways that really work um because and, I, and her target yeah. for a lot of those jokes is deadshot who is yep. made visibly uncomfortable by being the object of somebody else's affection and so i think mm-hmm. that that makes it it makes it funnier and it, it, yeah. it, it gives her a great target to, to, you know, throw these jokes at without it like kind of distracting from the momentum of the story. Yeah, definitely. It's, and it's not a dynamic we get too much in comics, unfortunately. And so she's, she's, she's just, just a, tremendous fun. Yeah, she's just a great presence because like you said, she doesn't use her power so much. She's often standing in the background looking sexy and it's kind of unnerving to see somebody witnessing carnage and being like, oh, well, that's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> she just sort of adds another layer of weirdness to the book that I appreciate. Yeah, I'm sad. She, I don't think she's been used elsewhere. I mean, and one of the things that's been really cool about this series is that Gail really built up a stable of characters in Birds of Prey, who she does deploy in interesting ways throughout this. Like she pulls up her own like female incarnation of Spy Smasher that she created for Birds of Prey, and throws her into this in like such a creative way with like really dark political analysis around it as well. Like this, this, this comic does not like the U.S. Uh, security security state apparatus um like these are villains and the security state apparatus are even more villains basically i i do really like when dc gets all their secret agencies like battling each other Uh, yeah uh, so in in this one it's spy smasher kind of versus um i guess spoiler alert uh 
Uh, suicide I mean, yeah, Squad. Yeah, Suicide Squad and Amanda I mean, Waller, it's but, Task Force-esque. Yeah. Like, it's not, yeah, I feel like that's not quite a spoiler. Yeah. Like, there's a comic with Deadshot, so yeah, yeah Suicide Squad is in it at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I, 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 we're going to hold on to spoiler stuff that might go into the specifics of that till later, sure. but I don't think it's a spoiler okay. to just say that, like, this is something that appears at some point. But yeah, sorry. So they have all these government agencies fighting each other, and it's petty, and I love it. Yeah, because millions upon millions of lives might hinge on Amanda Waller's mood. And then she's going to get a monologue about how like, you need me, you need the wall. And it's like, no, you just <laughs> need your ego inflated or same thing with spy smasher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you though, this is the comic that introduced me to Amanda Waller and I love that character. I think she's one of the great anti-heroes mm-hmm. of the DC universe. And um, you just don't see that many characters like her. She's this like really smart, powerful, manipulative, but just a hundred percent attitude. And you know, she was invented by uh, by John Astrander and, and and Kim Yale and like back in Suicide Squad. And comics just didn't necessarily always know what to do with like a you know a, a woman like her. Like the, nobody else got drawn that way. She could stare down Batman and win. Like. Nobody else can do that. And I was so sad when the new 52 brought her back and she was suddenly young and thin. Cause that's like yeah. literally missing the point. She um, is back to her like regular, regular physicality now. But I think um, in, when I read her in both justice league and Suicide squad recently, I just think she's been really mishandled. It, it seems mm. like she keeps like losing, like she'll make a decision and then a whole city will explode. And then she'll give a speech about, you know, how, like, oh, you need me, and, uh, and she'll stay in power. But it's like, no, 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 no. The whole idea is that she's the person who will sacrifice 50 lives to save 500,000. Like, that's yeah. that's the whole point. That's her shtick. Yeah, so yeah. If, if she makes a decision and a whole city blows up, then you fire her. She's a political appointee. Like, so if she right. has to actually have some victories. And so that's why this era of Amanda Wall, I think, is much more interesting than the way she's written now. Agreed. And there's this amazing moment uh, where something she's been doing was revealed to another character. I won't say what. And and uh, King Faraday says, Amanda, does your right hand know what your left hand is doing? And she says, strictly on a need to know basis, <laughs> which is great. all you know, too. And I'm like, oh, she gets these amazing. Gail just really can write a one liner. I mean, <laughs> folks like the humor in this book. Like so few things have this quality of humor and this quality of darkness in the same place. Um, uh, you know, like I feel like the, 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 uh, the, fa- the famous, um, if you must know, I had a burrito page is, you know, that's secret six. That's Batman yelling at Catman because Catman keeps asking him, telling him that he thinks he smells like cumin. Maybe it's cilantro. Is there a taco truck nearby? Like they're like sparring. It's this beautiful symmetry because the the Catman costume is like a cheap ripoff of the Batman costume. Um, the name obviously is super similar. They have, you know, they have they have quite different origin stories, but uh, though both tragic. Um, 
and I feel like the humor of that panel is so is has gone and lived on beyond people's knowledge of like the comic that it came from, you know, sort of how, yeah. it's not at the level of the I just want to make I don't want to cure cancer. I just want to turn people into dinosaurs. Like it's not at that level of memeable iconography. But I definitely think a lot of people have seen the if you must know I had a burrito, because it's like Batman saying that while punching someone in the face. I feel like I've seen that comic in the wild some. And I, I think what's interesting about Secret Six is that it gets into the everyday lives of of it, the titular team. So when you have a character like Batman, you know, cross paths with anybody, especially Catman, you're gonna get a window into his private life. And I think so many mm-hmm. Batman stories, to their detriment, pretend that Batman like isn't a person. Uh, so you get this moment of humor out of Batman that almost can't happen in an actual bat book. Um, I think, you know, my fanboyism of Tom King, uh, I think he's allowed that in the current run of Batman. Um, but I think so many, so many people before him have just made him this cipher for dark justice and (laughs) would, would never allow him to say the word burrito in their books. Yeah. I like one of the, one of the precepts of the comic is like, here are these two villains who don't really know how to be friends, who become friends with each other. Um, and they have these great, they're, they're, they're just shooting the shit. They're trying to buy Ben and Jerry's. They end up beating up some Nazis by accident because the Nazis are getting in the way of their ability to buy ice cream. And like just the banter between them is so charming. And the whole story is just a sequ- it's just a cycle of people constantly losing fucking up their contracts backstabbing each other and then falling back together like a family and if that appeals to you and it definitely appealed to me then read this comic i think it's it's in the same story arc it might even be the same issue when they when they beat up the nazis for ice cream uh jeanette calls some asshole at a club a cocksure moonbeam and that <laughs> killed me so yeah, that's the kind of banter that you get in this book i love it yeah it's 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 just glorious and every character's voice is so unique you could like literally tell who said anything even without seeing who was assigned to each of the voices are so distinct i think and that's a really hard task um for a team superhero book uh as you know especially a cape book like this and so it's a testament to gail simone's abilities um, what what do you think of her Bane? I he I, I, I said, like he's the biggest character prior to prior to this he was yeah. the, he's the character with the biggest profile before the before the series yeah like he the way his character is used in this book and the things that happen to him and the things he does are very interesting and I like reading them but it's also like like this is Bane like he's a psychopath he's like murdered thousands of people before this. So am I supposed to feel sorry for him? I feel like it's a bridge too far to forget mm. all the all the evil he has committed uh, to like root for him, as opposed mm-hmm. to even somebody like Deadshot or especially somebody like Catman. But I yeah. try to like put put that out of my mind and enjoy what the story was for what it is, and it's good, mm-hmm. especially his relationships and 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 like for example, we were we were talking about the Get It Hell Free card, like when he kind of finds out that he is going to go to hell, he has to then re-examine everything he's done in his whole life. Like, if he, if all his strategizing and his kind of Napoleon complex 
um, has is just going to get him damned, then what's the point? So I think that's interesting, but I think it's also difficult for me to just get past, you know, all his murder, his piles and piles of murder. Yeah, I, you know, my primary association with him from comics prior to this was simply like, I guess I sort of understood him to be a character that was constructed to be the anti-Batman, but sort of with like a, uh, I want to say Doc, I keep wanting to say Doc Brass, but that's actually the character from Planetary. I mean, the um, actual uh, Pulp's character, um, who's sort of like the self-perfected man and is sort of like low-key coded as being um, a person of color, but like they didn't want to straight up say that because it was like the 1920s. Doc Savage? Yes, thank you. Because it was like Doc Savage, man of bronze. And we're like, hmm. Like basically every black critic who I know is like Doc Savage was mixed race. Like this is a fact. But anyway, um, so he sort of was supposed to. The Rock might might play him in a movie. So I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, which would be amazing. So, you know, and sort of this, the idea of the creation of Bane was to be like a mirror mirror image version of like, what if somebody did all these things, but used them towards self-perfected himself, but used it towards the end of being a super villain. And so I thought he was an interesting inclusion because he's so, he's so focused on his self-control and self-regulation to the point, but towards being like evil and being in control. And then he sort of gets put in these positions of having to be a, a team leader at times, having to take care of other people. It's definitely not the usual treatment of Bane. And yeah. it, I was fine with it. Cause I just, I don't think I thought very much about him beforehand, mm. but I love the, I love the way they draw him in here. Yeah. Like, they just really nail it. And um, at a certain point in the series, we'll talk about in the spoiler section that deals with the prison system, him being someone who was raised literally in a prison really does work very well in this. Yeah. So yeah. before we go into spoiler land, there's um, one thing I want to throw in because it just blows my mind. How in God's name was this comic rated 12 and up? Like, I love it. Certainly, if I had kids and I don't, I would be fine with kids 12 and up reading it, but that's not normally how things are rated. So I was like, well, okay. Um, like everybody's eyeballs are getting punched out and people are discussing fetish stuff like constantly. This is actually something I noticed immediately when I started with Villains United um, because you, you, this is my first exposure to, to the book, that there was a lot of cigarette smoking and blood in DC Comics in the mid-2000s. Um, you know, when was the last time you actually saw like someone bleeding in a mainstream DC book? Like, it just doesn't happen anymore. But no, there's actual b- blood pools under bodies and people have gushers coming out of their necks and people smoke cigarettes. Um, yeah, I, especially I, Deadshot. Deadshot yeah. is like, a, that's like his thing. He smokes yeah, constantly. Yeah. But even people that aren't Deadshot are still smoking, and it's just something you don't see in comic books anymore. Mm, that's very true. I hadn't even thought about the smoking piece of it. Um, but you're right. It's sort of like, you know, like Wolverine not smoking is like, is this even true to the character anymore? And with yeah. Deadshot, it's sort of similar. But yeah, yeah. How do they have... I don't know. I, I I don't know how they were rating the comics when they were selling them first. I'm just sort of looking when I was re, when I was when I when I was rereading the tail end of stuff in the app. It was all like ages twelve and up, and I'm just yeah. Uh, I'm up with that, but I can't believe that that that, other, that, that most people are fine with that. Um, yeah, and there's butts, you know. <laughs> 
there's butts of different genders. There's even at least one butt of a gender that's unclear because the character is sort of non, might be non-binary. So there's, there's butts of all genders in this comic in all different contexts. And this was actually when um, somehow Janet Jackson changed the course of the way uh, the U.S. government enforced lewdness in in art. Because even something as mainstream as The Simpsons had to eliminate the, eliminate the butt from its broadcast, so Bart could no longer moon anybody after Janet Jackson's whatever at the Super Bowl. So if this was very soon after that, I would have assumed DC would also be cognizant of the amount of butts in their comic books. Yeah, I, I, it is wild. It is wild. Um, so I, I kind of think maybe, maybe now's the time to say dispense with a, concerns about spoilers and just talk about talk about it all um sure and again guys like i said like i this is i really think this is one of the best cape books of the since the since the year 2000 and the fact that it doesn't get spoken of in the same breath as things like tom king's run on uh batman or i mean i don't know you know better than me what kind of stuff people talk about with all in the current era, but era, but like I think it's fucking sexist. I think that's why. You know? I, mean, I think everybody knows uh, Gail Simone is great. I think if if you don't like Gail Simone, I don't even know why you're reading comic books. Um, actually, if you like team up books written by Gail Simone, uh, the recent miniseries Domino Hotshots is really great. So I highly recommend that. It's Domino oh yeah, Domino is fun. Bon- Domino was a lot of fun. I, I did a quickie review of one of those issues. And then the annual is fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yes, highly endorsing Gail. I think Domino is Gail's best work since Secret Six, actually. But um It's it's uh, not bad. I, I even really I don't I I even really like the Wonder Woman Conan miniseries she did uh maybe a year ago. Oh I that was I thought that was uh rather sweet actually. I would read. I just haven't. I haven't been able to read everything. I would read it, but I hadn't had a chance. But um, so yep. Since we're talking about spoilers, I do think that now. Uh, I, I you know, I I really think like one of the things that is Bane says that I just think actually I was going to do this before spoilers, but whatever. Uh, that really I feel like sums up the series is he says this to Amanda Waller, who's one of the one of the main bads from this. Um, Between your control and death, we choose death. And like this whole comic, the momentum towards it is people deciding what like that they prefer freedom, including the freedom to be evil, uh, is like the most important thing to them, basically. Yeah, I, I I just think that the this team makes themselves an island, and I think that's so interesting in a world that's so interconnected as the DC universe that they. Even if they're never going to be friends, they have found a way to make the Secret Six a home for each other. And for someone like Amanda Waller to try to assert control over that is just anathema to everything they want to be. Especially somebody like Deadshot, who has a lot of experience dealing with Amanda Waller. And they just, you know, collectively say, screw that. Get out of here. We don't need any of your bullshit. We're fine being assassins for hire on our own. Thank you very much. Well, I... You know, I love that their space is the house of the house of secrets, which is, yeah. you know, f- like you know, digging into some like deep DC arcana. And I guess that's where Insignificus comes from. Like Insignificus 
is the greatest thing ever. He's like, I guess they're like some house servants that came with the house and they just go around groveling and saying increasingly ridiculous, personally debasing things to scandal. Um, and I fucking think it's hilarious and amazing. Um, is that, but that, that, that they, they're from something else, right? Um, I, I think so. Uh, but I am not the authority on, uh, I got the impression that yes, that they are part of the history of the house of secrets. Um, uh, but they, Insignificus is not somebody I, I have encountered before, even mm. though I have read other stuff with the house of secrets in it. Yeah. Okay. Just curious there, but yeah, so they you know, they, I, I like that their, their home base is the house of secrets and like Amanda, just tries to burn them out of it basically because she can't deal with people being free agents. I mean, the, the reason the whole group gets together and villains united is because, um, the reason people get, you know, get come together and villains united, which is the first book of the series, like, you know, is because they don't want to join like Luther's major team up group. They want to be independent. Yeah, is it- the society supervillains. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. I, th- and that is another thing that I love about this book. It's almost like the, they're the Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead of the DC universe because they're kind of on the periphery of so many huge events that they just are like, mm, I'm just going to watch from the side and just not get involved. Thank you very much. But then they end up um, meeting a foul end anyway. That's so brilliant, dude. I'm putting that, yeah. <laughs> Especially like, you know, like in Darkest Night, like they end up, they, they, how do they intersect with that? Like they end up like fighting some dead villains in yeah. Bell Reef. Like, yeah. I love the way those things work into it. Or like when they, in the prison storyline where they, they realize that the, the captives who are being policed are the wonder, are the, are the Amazons who had declared war on, America. I mean, God, the whole book Deaths, which is like all about the question of, you know, like, are you willing to support slavers? And, you know, they, they, if, if the people who they're enslaving are, are criminals, then they're like, no, we're not <laughs> ultimately, but it takes them a while to get to that point because these are bad guys. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, like, I, 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 you know, it's revealed like, oh, well, the reason that it's perfectly legal for us to have these prisoners because they're the Amazons who declared war on America. And so it's fine, right? Right? And the Secret Six are like, no, it's it's not fine. Um, but they end up in the end sort of, I mean, I found it this disappointing is like basically at the end. And there's a whole book where they're just basically talking about how prison doesn't work how prison is inherently abusive, how like connecting prisons to hell, how prisons are structurally based on hell. Like the whole book is an indictment of the prison system. And then at the very end, they conclude that they're going to just let this prison continue, but under a different leadership of this guy who's like less evil. And I was like, this is unsatisfying. Um, And it's well-written so much that like, I see like they express why, you know, it's not like there's no explanation, but it's just like wrong. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I see where you're going with this. Like you've written it enough, but I, I disagree. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that if you're going to have a team with, you know, Bane and Deadshot as members, um, you're going to have to d- disagree with some of the things that they, you know, 
formulate his opinions. Um, but it's not and, them, and, and, though. It's it's uh, it's Artemis and Wonder Woman who basically are yeah. like, okay, well, we'll stay. We're going to stay here and like make it not be a slavery prison. Yeah, and uh, and I'm also wondering how how much of this story is seen through the eyes of unreliable narrators, because like for example, when um, they the team kind of saves a kid. And Nightwing shows up and is basically a complete asshole to them. And he's like, you know, give me the baby. You guys get out of here. Um, like, of all the people in the DC Universe to be a jerk to people who just saved a kid, Nightwing is not one of them. But I think from their perspective, heroes are the people who deny them, like, existence. Who yes. say, oh, you're not, you're not good enough. You deserve to be on the outside of, of of normal society, of superhero society, of everything. And so I think they come to everything with a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think it's an interesting way to give us a different perspective on these heroes that we so idolize that um, maybe not everyone sees them the way we see them. Even, even one yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The other thing, the other piece that I felt was really political in here was the invasion of Scartaris, which is the sort of savage sword and sword, the sword and sandal epic land that like is, exists within Earth that was invented by Mike Grell basically for his Warlord Warlord series back in like the seventies, I guess. Um, they they have a they have some issues where they are sent to basically go and conquer uh, Scartaris. And like straight up black Alice, it was like, who's a teenager character who joins them later on straight up says like, this is colonialism. We learned about this. This is bad. And I was such a, I loved it. It's like the young character who's like, I studied this in school. Let me tell you, I learned about the name for this. Um, But I was like, I just enjoyed people even just spelling that out that clearly in a comic like this. And um, you know, the U S government is sending them to Scarteris to conquer it because of like, because of colonialism, and then they decide that they're actually going to fight for its freedom. I'm like, I love you guys. Yeah, I I think I, I really like the character of of Black Alice. I think she gets a lot of great use uh, in the New Fifty Two run, actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, in in here, yeah, she's yeah, sometimes you need a, an outside voice to be the voice of reason, and I think she does that really well here, especially when you know they're in like. <laughs> A sword and sorcery epic land with, you know, dragons and dinosaurs that you need somebody who's able to kind of say, um, wait a second, everything you're doing is bullshit. Uh, even, <laughs> even here. I I also love like Black Alice's weird crush on Ragdoll is that's the sort of thing that only a woman comic writer is going to do because only a woman comic writer knows about the weird ass crushes that teen girls have that like other people just don't like, Oh my God, if I had a dollar for every improbable, disturbing adult man, that teenage girls that I knew had inexplicable, like I was one of those things where like people were like, Oh my God, black Alice has a crush on ragdoll. I'm like, Oh, you would believe. <laughs> like, I, I, that, that was such a, 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 an accurate, like, teenage goth girl note. I was like, yes. And, and they handled it well, even like, 
through the series. It's like he, he's. Uh, he, uh, in an earlier issue, Black Alice describes of Cat- Catman as somebody who looks like an ad for Grant Jim and smells like concentrated dude. Yeah. So, so you and Catman is also kind of like billed as an incredibly handsome specimen. So, if she's yes, criticizing the way that Cat- Catman looks, you know she's not interested in the sort of normative male figure and so i yep. think it makes sense for her to be attracted to not makes sense but you can buy but you see what yeah exactly yeah, somebody like ragdoll would appeal to her but i could also totally believe that Catman probably doesn't bathe enough like probably, <laughs> i'm like yeah, 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 yeah i can see that he's like i don't have to i'm gorgeous it doesn't matter you know but god bless gail for giving us Catman as a sex symbol like there aren't that yeah. many characters who comics really feels they can lean into when it comes to like depicting men with a sexual gaze like they just it's like dick grayson and and catman when it comes to dc like i don't even know who else in terms of dc they even would do that with frankly that's why i loved um midnighter so much um Mm. because that was yeah uh because that was a character who was gay and also very masculine, so mm-hmm. he would assert his male gaze on basically anyone that he found attractive, most obviously Apollo, who is, you know, his longtime lover. But whenever Dick Grayson came around, he called he would like hit on Dick Grayson uh any chance he got because Dick Grayson is Dick Grayson. Yeah. Um and so I, I miss that voice in, in DC comics. Um because that was a yeah. that was a great book too. Midnighter was such a freaking good book. It was. It was. Um, but what's interesting Steve, is Steve Midnight- Orlando's a madman. I love Steve Orlando. He's great. He's been on the show a few times. Interestingly, like a great amount of the art for Midnighter is like it's really freaking good as comics art. But it clearly has no interest in cheesecake-ness, which is interesting when it's like the only gay male book lead in a DC comic. So it's like, we'll give you this gay male book lead, and like there will be some leather to it, but we're not going to make it cheesecakey ever in the slightest. And like that's clearly like part of the design of what they're trying to do. But I just think, but again, I think it's interesting, and because it, it's the the publishers are so uncomfortable with sexualizing. But Man. then what, what I loved about what was happening on the Grayson book at the same time was that Michael Keane <laughs> was doing the art uh, and yes. was cheesecaking Dick Grayson and Midnighter when he would show up in that book every chance he got. Yeah. So I, I, it was like, well, if you're not going to get your cheesecake here, we'll give it to you here. Yeah. It, 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 it's interesting, like, but it just feels like it's such a, such a small piece of it. And like, I don't know. It's interesting also, like, I, I hadn't really put together notes on this specifically, but I'm trying to think about the specific sex scenes in uh, Secret Six. It's mostly, you know, you'll see people like sleeping on top of each other afterwards, basically. You don't really have that many yeah. scenes of, like, actual seduction. And I think that's because it's sort of easier to just sort of draw an aftermath than it is to, like, have to show people seducing one another, um, even though it's there's an, you know, there's a number of like serious relationships in, in here and God bless them. You know, the, the, the dream ending for scandal savage is she gets married to both of her girlfriends. Like 
li- li- truly living the dream, deciding not that she doesn't have to choose and marrying both of her of her girlfriends. That both um, look very much alike and are also okay with being in this tri-marriage. Yes. Um, who hadn't really congratulations. met each other. Yeah. yeah, I know. Scandal living your best life. Like I'm like, who hadn't really met each other before? I was sort of like, shouldn't they like get to know each other? Okay, fine. Um, good, you know, I, again, I don't want to step on Scandal Savage living her best life. But it was such a fun way to like resolve a, what could have been a really uncomfortable love triangle. Gail's like, fuck it. It's not a love triangle anymore. <laughs> it's a, um, it's a love but knot. It's a love. Oh, but, oh, but actually, but here, yeah, there's a moment where, when um, I, I I love when they resolve like, knockout goes and has sex with Deadshot, and in a lot of comics, it would have felt like a, tr- it would have been like a really bad like untrustworthy by character trope, and this comic avoids that, which is a small miracle, and like it just gets the characters to be past that. And it sort of was like, oh, we didn't have a conversation about this. And I didn't know that wasn't okay. And, uh, but if you want me to kill him for you, I will totally do that. And I'm like, I love you guys. Like, she's, you know, she's like, knockout is totally going to fucking kill Deadshot just because, like, immediately after having sex with him because it pissed off her girlfriend. God bless you. Yeah, I did really like that aspect of the character. Knockout gets such an arc in this book, even from being such kind of on the periphery so much because she is, you know, brought out of hell and she's incredibly traumatized from that experience and Scandal is really determined to sort of bring her back. And And that whole story of her, you know, coming, you know, dying, coming back from hell, having sex with Deadshot, and then, like, <laughs> sussing out why that's n- not cool, um, is re- is something you really don't get for, like, a third-tier character in a lot mm-hmm. of other books. And I also love how, like, when she comes back, well, when she comes back from hell at the end of the series, yeah. you know, like, Scandal's trying to cuddle and she's like, I need you to not touch me right now. And Scandal's like, okay. I'm like, what an amazing moment of like addressing consent. Like, it's like the fact that this is even something that is like, yes, it fucking matters, even though you're both women. Like, this is still a thing that matters. Um, I, there's also just amazing moments like the, the, all the characters running off in an ice cream truck to Las Vegas, like the absurdity. The, all the Las Vegas stuff is so absurd and glorious, and that's all Nicola Scott drawing it. Yeah, um, it has such like a lushness and richness to all of those pages, and that's also where they get Jeanette. But another thing from this book is just how fucking twisted the torture, the body torture, is in this. I mean, there's a lot of creepy twi- creepy twins and creepy siblings is definitely a trope. Self mutilation. There's a lot of self mutilation here. Um. I mean, what did yes. you think of the whole storyline with Junior? Like, Junior, like, never mind the whole get out of hell free. Like, what do you feel like about Junior? I I found Junior incredibly creepy. And so I, I appreciate any book that can, like, present a character that can creep me out. Uh, um, I, I like the reveal that it's Ragdoll's sister. Um, I think that's something that, in retrospect, kind of is the only thing that would make sense. Um, I... I also appreciated the kind of mirroring body torture, um, not only with the Junior's two twin henchmen, which is creepy, but also yep. with, with the way Junior tortures Bane with just like throwing bricks at his face. 
over and over and over again. And so there's this like gradual just evisceration of his head that's real gross, but it's also from something so simplistic and like un unadorned that like you don't yes. need a, 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 an elaborate contraption. Just throw bricks at this guy. I mean, that's what I love about what they do with Junior. Like, Junior manages to be, like, traveling around in a box and only giving orders by writing them on a paper notepad is, like, that's Gail Simone. She's like, I'm going to make something creepy that you've just never considered before. Like, who? nobody's ever done that. She's, like, figuring out what is creepy and, like, inventing a new lexicon of creepiness. Like you're instantly like, oh God, that's so fucking creepy. And it's not relying on any pre-existing tropes. She's just inventing this. Like we're like, like you said, with like the bricks. It's like she's gonna fucking throw some bricks at your head over and over and over. And it's this weird specificity and inventiveness. And it's it's also a great way to characterize Bane because he's so determined to be unresponsive to the brick torture until he gets oh an opportunity to, to bite somebody to death. And it's, I was like, okay, yeah, you don't fuck with Bane. Sorry. You fucked up. I want to take a minute to sort of dive into a quick read of a couple of our favorite pages from the comic. Um, sure. One of mine is uh, one of the pages that's actually written by the great um, Jim Ostrander, who, uh, Ostrander, who like John Ostrander, sorry, who um, Gail, I mean, Gail really is the heir to his work, I think, more than anyone else, and is clearly inspired by his Suicide Squad run. And she brought him in to write a couple of issues, like brought him out of retirement, basically. And one of those issues is in the uh, Dance Macabre trade. It's, uh, It's the first issue from that. And he wrote it. It's, what is it, Secret Six? 15 issue 15 but it's like from the volume two god the fucking numbering is a shit show and the art is by uh, G- uh jim calafiore and calafiore is interesting for me i i struggle a lot with artists who i think draw people really ugly even when the people aren't supposed to be ugly they just like happen to draw people in ways that i think are ugly but they're actually still doing a good job of using comics as storytelling and this guy is like this is a piece, like, perfect example of that. I'm like, you know, I'm never going to frame one of these pages on my wall because, like, I think his people are kind of ugly, but this is really good, effective storytelling. So let's look at this first page. It's one of Deadshot sitting in a diner. He's waiting. You see him facing you, um, and then you quickly flash, and this panel is red. It's like a it's like a four four a four strip page. Um, it's just red and everybody in the diner is dead and he's wearing his costume suddenly and still in the exact same position, no emotion reaction. And then he flashes back to things as they actually are. And, you know, like the waitress has moved over a little, everything else is the same. And then you reverse and it's somebody who we find out later is his old priest, a uh, confessor, as it were, from um, Suicide Squad saying Floyd and Floyd just sort of looks up and it's this great panel that sort of shows you like how he's sort of been disassociating and having these fantasies that are uncontrollable violent fantasies and he's a character who's always been super violent but has always felt like he was in control of it and sort of having him flash between seeing himself um, 
as you know a guy in casual wear at a at a at a at a diner and then flashing to this all red and he's in his costume like it really just conveys that and there actually is a panel from an earlier book like right before this run starts where you have that first flash of him having a fantasy of killing everybody with a red background and then you don't see it again for like a while um but i really i really was impressed by that page did you have anything you wanted to share with us? I I I love that Pete as well, and I, I also agree with your assessment of um, the ugliness of the faces. Um, but there's just so many details that I appreciate, like uh, on that page where, um, you know, when you on the four strip page, you have the smoke of his cigarette going wafting up into the air, and then when it's his vision of murdering people, it's a smoke from his gun, and then back to the smoke from his cigarette. Yeah, yeah. And I just think there's just so many like little details of visual storytelling that makes it hit and make it makes it feel like a fantasy is a lot closer than just casual pondering. It seems like he's a half a second away from actually doing this. Perfect. Perfectly said. Thank you. Here's one. That, here's one that I just I just love. Um, it's it, it is in the the depths run, but um, when the warden of the prison island um, reveals his like cat devil Satan monster mm-hmm. pinned to a crucifix on barbed wire, it's just so insane. Like even with all the insane stuff that we've discussed over the last hour. The insanity of the visual of that creature crucified (laughs) and saying, like, and I am so hungry. Like, it's, it's bonkers. It's, it's, it goes beyond everything that we've seen so far. And it even got me a cynical comic asshole to say, what the fuck? So, uh, yeah, I I just really love that reveal. And they talk about like how it smells. It's yeah. It's amazing. Uh, m- one of my other favorite panels is like, oh uh, yeah, every image. Mm, I love how much Jeanette hates the Amazons. I love how in this comic, initially it sort of seems like when Jeanette's like, oh, Amazons, I hate Amazons. You're like, ha ha. Jeanette, she hates the Amazons. I'm sure it's just because she's a villain. And then Thomas actually asks, like, what is it with you and the Amazons, Jeanette? And Jeanette said, Banshees don't care for immortals at the best of times, Thomas. They make us somewhat irrelevant, I suppose. But 3,000 years they stayed on their little tropical island while women were treated like cattle all over the world. A few less of them won't cause me to shed any tears, I'm afraid. Now are we going to this roof or not? And I was like, God damn, like, I love how she's just fucking bringing that because that is real. Like, you know, Jeanette is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of year old woman who has seen the worst treatment that women have and experienced the worst treatment that women have ever endured. And then she's, you know, when she, when, and when you learned that there was an island of superpowered independent women who didn't have to deal with any men for that long and that they did nothing to try to free women until like one, until World War II, basically. That's, yeah, fuck you. That's fucked up. Um, I love that character beat like a lot that lots of things in this comic are stuff where at first it seems like it's quirky. And then you see how rooted it is in like trauma or reality or feeling. And the, the, the sequence I I was looking for, I was looking in the wrong volume because I can't keep the volume straight because thanks DC. 
um, is actually that flashback where Jeanette is talking about her being, you know, sold off basically to Ezerbet Bathory um, to be of service to her. Um, and I just love the kind of subtle changes in the art style, um, you know, from Nicholas mm-hmm. Scott's sort of comic book art style to a slightly antiquated look. And so, you know, uh, on the first full page of it, we get a Renaissance portrait style um, panel. And and I just think there's so much visual storytelling going on um, with, like, you know, women being burned, you know, of course, you know, the... The lower class women are the ones being burned, while Esbeth Bathory, being a upper class woman, is just sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, but then it's Jeanette uh, talking about actually poisoning her and killing her, and it, it's such like an indelible series of images that are, you know, both in keeping with the world of the Secret Six, but also kind of inherently ancient in the way that they're drawn. And I just, I, I love the sequence. I mean, it's hard to do a good, like, flashback origin story in, you know, two mm-hmm. pages, but I think it's accomplished. One other page I wanted to hit on is fr- is, is another, is a Nicholas Scott page from, from Depths, which is um, just something that just super lingered for me, which is the scene where she finally unleashes her Banshee powers on Wonder Woman. And, you know, Wonder Woman is portrayed very clearly in this whole sequence as being like a powerhouse who is in a completely different caliber of than everyone else. Like there is a page which is a, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, like a 12 panel, um, combo where you compare like her forehead to Bane's forehead, her eye to Jeanette's eye, her torso to Catman's torso. And it's all kind of juxtaposed against each other. sort of to say that all of the secret six together don't quite add up to one wonder woman. So like you just have a page that make this case very effectively that, yeah, these six superpowered assholes do not match up to one wonder woman. And then you see just a little bit later you know, Jeanette, Jeanette's basically mocking and baiting Wonder Woman to give her team f- time to escape and um, almost seeming to have a good time about it in a twisted sort of way. And then she says, what kind of a monster am I? Let me show you. And you see her face transforms into having the uh, black and white and black markings of the Silver Age, uh, Silver Banshee character. Um, and uh, she starts to use her Banshee whale. And she starts to tell the story. The executioner was drunk. I paid him with the only jewelry they let me keep. Mother's necklace. His axe was imprecise. The first blow cracked the bones in my left shoulder. The white dress I wore soaked red with my blood. And she just keeps going. And the art itself is blurry. Like, I feel like the the blur on it as digital. Like, I think, you know, the, probably the original page is all, is look, Nicholas Scott draws her art traditionally, like she's drawn in pencil on a page. And I think that maybe they blurred this digitally to get the sort of tremor. And so you see the, the, the panels of, of Jeanette describing her own beheading sort of get increasingly shaky and increasingly close up. And then at the bottom of the page is this jumbo panel that they've been laid on top of. That's Wonder Woman on the ground, her head thrown back, foaming from the mouth, her eyes rolled back in her head. I've never seen Wonder Woman look as look incapacitated like this before. Um, and it's just this demonstration of Jeanette's powers and 
how much pain she suffered in her life. And then you see what it did to Wonder Woman to just even hear it, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's really fucking powerful. Yeah, and Jeanette even says, get, and now, yeah. Princess, now that moment is like when someone, now that moment is like when someone makes you lower than the lowest animal. And the whole, this whole book is all about, like, prison, so it's, it's making that connection as well. Go ahead. And, and I think what, what you were saying about how this is a character that cannot use her power because it's too powerful it's only when she's presented with a foe as powerful as Wonder Woman that she can actually bring it out. Um, and, and yeah, it, especially when it's um, contrasted with the way that the previous issue ended where Wonder Woman kind of like storms in like, you know, uh, the, the most powerful motherfucker in the DC universe, um, you, you know, calling for her sister. And so for this to be the way that that sort of threat ends up is really shocking because you don't expect the secret six to be able to do anything to mm -hmm. the Amazon. Um, but mm -hmm. then you're, you're presented with the kind of trauma and the power of that trauma of, of Jeanette. And it's really powerful. And the cover on that issue is a bizarre sort of 3d realistic, but evocative in this case, uh, Daniel, uh, Luvisi cover where you just see like Wonder Woman's torso. Oh, I mean, you, you get the boob in there because God forbid, uh, but like holding up Jeanette by her hood of a passed out bleeding from the nose, Jeanette. And then the, in the interior is sort of like, yeah, flip that a little bit, but I will give this to, uh, Daniel Luvisi is, uh, he, he does an amazing drawing of Wonder Woman's legs and the musculature is like right on point. Yeah, I think especially with how Wonder Woman is sort of fetishized in that imagery for her to be sort of like brought low in uh, in the book is even makes it even more shocking in retrospect. Yeah. So as we round out this issue, this episode, one of the reasons that I think we began talking about Secret Six again is because people have been talking about what series have good endings, you know, in light of conversation around uh game of thrones and a lot of other series and i just really say that the original run of secret six is had the perfect fucking ending um it ends with you know bane basically deciding that they all need to go on a suicide run on gotham uh or else life has no meaning uh but he totally sells it and what's amazing is like you they begin to do this planning and then they get to Gotham and then you immediately see it is all going to shit. These are losers. There is no way they can win. Um, and they all get taken down like incredibly quickly. Um, and it's like this perfect fucking end of a, of a series. What did you think of the ending? Um, uh, yeah, I did really like the ending. It's a sort of like, you know, with Freebird playing in the background, charge into <laughs> the, the arms of death uh, for the Secret Six. And it, it is really appealing um, for a series to end on such kind of a nihilistic, uh, apocalyptic note. Um, but I, I reread um, the New 52 run just to kind of reaffirm my opinions. And I, I like the New 52 ending better. It's, it's the opposite of what happens in, in here. Um, it ends with them at a barbecue at elongated man's house and them eating hot dogs together. 
so it's a real interesting flip on the whole sort of crux of the pre-52 Secret Six. So I, I just found that really interesting and, and really funny and charming. Um, I mean, I, for, I can see this. I, I can see the value of the symmetry in that, for sure. Yeah, there there is definitely a lot of moments of symmetry um, in the New 52 run, like it, that kind of... Uh, my, my binging of the series, I guess, alerted me to that maybe, you know, if you were following along as his issues were coming out, and you, oh, oh, remember this thing from <laughs> this series that came out five years ago? Um, but yeah, yeah, rarely do books get endings as poetic as either the pre-52 run or, or the new 52 run got. So Gail Simone, I think, got two really great endings out of the same book. Um, hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. I, I, I thought that the ending from the pre-New 52 series was so good that I was almost like a little worried when I saw she was bringing it back because I was like, but you ended it so perfectly before. And I began picking it up because, I mean, I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I love Gail. And she also said that Catman was going to be like portrayed canonically as bisexual. And I'm like, yay, more bi-representation. Um, and the first issue had, I guess it was like in order to make sure everybody was perfectly clear that Catman was by had him on like a date with a man and a woman at the same time. And the art was ugly. And I was like, you know, I hope this gets better. And so I stuck around for another issue and I just was like, this isn't bad, but I wasn't feeling it. And it felt like such a letdown for me. So I actually didn't finish reading the series, even though, you know, I think, you know, there was a non-binary character that got introduced. I, I don't know. I kind of have always felt a bit mixed over my decision to stop reading it. I mean, now that it's all on unlimited, I can, I guess I can check it out again, but you seem to really have liked it. Yeah. I think when Dan Eaglesham comes back to the book, it gets a lot better. I think that is when an artist and writer are simpatico, um, and their modes of storytelling. Um, I think that the visual representation of the characters, it gets a lot better and it, it makes more sense. Um, and the visual storytelling gets more, um, compelling, um, it gets weirder and a lot more fun. Uh, so yeah, I, I still recommend the new 52 run of, um, of secret six. And it feels more like a collection of misfits, even more than the pre new 52 stuff. And, that's, and so for me, that, that is a lot of fun. Well, your suggestion, I'm going to give it a go. Um, yeah. Eagle Shen's art works really well with, with Nick, with, um, with Gail when they did villains United together. So so that that is helpful to see. I don't know if I actually made it to the issues that they had with it. Um, so that's great. Thank you for that recommendation. Uh, no problem. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to hit up? I I think I'm set. I I think the new I think Secret Six should be left to be discovered by your listeners out there. Yes, that's right, guys. Get on this series. I like. I just truly fucking love it. Rereading it just reified to me how fucking good it is. There were so many moments where I put it down and had to shout because my partners read like part of it, but not all of it. Like, this is the best. Look at this freaking page. Um, and it's a standard by which I feel like we should be holding all of our superhero books because, you know, like not everything can be Watchmen. Not everything is going to completely reinvent a genre and deconstruct it and like change the game, but everything could be as good as this comic, which is just a mainline comic nailing it every step of the way. 
And I do think that the fact that she's drawing from characters where she has such freedom in them because their D-list helps with it. But it's like, you know, if she can do this, like everybody else, step up your game on all of your random team books because this is really a beacon of brilliance. Yeah, there are definitely writers out there that are doing that. Um, I think it's easier to do with individual characters. Um, I definitely think Chip, Chip Zdarsky is doing that with both Daredevil and Spider-Man Life Story uh, and with Invaders, which I, it's a, mm. a, a small team book. So all praise and glory to Chip Zdarsky. Uh, yeah, he's brilliant. Of, yeah, so... Um, he's legit brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, that dare like I I never would have thought how excited I would be for Daredevil to be wearing a Punisher T-shirt, but then when Chip Zdarsky does it, it's so awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, and uh, my suggestion would be for people who've read this and have not and are looking for more. The closest I found to this is the original Secret Six with Ostrander. You would not believe how dark and twisted and modern that series feels, even though it's from the eighties. It has a lot of pacing that feels like a straight out of a contemporary action movie. The artists who move through the book, like most of them are excellent. None of them are bad. Most of them are like truly first rate. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if you like Secret Six, get on the old school Suicide Squad, not the new school Suicide Squad, which is just a string of depression and lack of being yeah. as goodness. Just go read the Ostrander original run on Suicide Squad. It's remarkably contemporary. There's a reason why Gail brought him in to write two issues of her series, and it's completely seamless. It's seamless. Like, you cannot tell his stories from hers, really. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Anyway, um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I rant about movies uh, and comic books and dump on Donald Trump on uh, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram at Quasar Sniffer. Uh, you can find Comics Connection, that's Comics with an X on Facebook, where you see me mug my, with my stupid face and comics that I love every week. Um, yeah, you've got a good pull list recommendations for folks every week. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, co- go to your local comic book shop. Uh, it's where you'll find people who know what books you might like. And so where best to spend your comic book dollar. Uh, So read books, you guys. They're good. Thanks. And folks can find me on Twitter a little bit too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And of course, Graphic Policy, Graphic Policy Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, We'll be back with a couple of really exciting creator interviews coming up very soon. Uh, can't announce the names yet, but we also were going to be doing things like uh, having another round table about Deathstroke. Woohoo! Uh, and so if you like your in-depth comics conversations, be sure to join us for that. And actually, I think we're also going to do another um, Doom Patrol roundup episode, but I got to catch up on that series. So thank you for joining us, John. It was my, it was an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners,